Father, you are the one who extends us your mercy. We know this from your word. We know you are the one who extends to us your grace. And again, we know this from your word. We call upon you for these two things, knowing that we are sinners who before we accepted your son, the Messiah, as our Savior, were destined for destruction. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us Fill us full of knowledge that we can better be those disciples and tell others of your goodness towards us. We know that not all will choose, nor will all be obedient. But, Father, we pray that for us this day, you would motivate us to do so through your word and through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Lord willing, we will be concluding today the book of Hebrews, and there's some final exhortations to love in this 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and we'll just pick it up in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 13. It says that we are supposed to love each other in the church. It says that in verse 1, keep on loving each other as brothers. In other words, we're to have this brotherly love like it speaks about in Romans chapter 12 verse 10 be devoted to one another in brotherly love honor one another above yourselves and this of course is the same thing that is talked about in Philippians chapter 2 where you're to consider others better than yourselves we are not to organize our lives as Christians based around us we are to organize our lives as Christians based upon others and their needs now that is not what the world teaches the world teaches just the opposite for instance remember that guy old blue eyes now some of you know who old blue eyes is frank sinatra that's right now he sang a song and so did another guy that most will know elvis presley and the song was Yes, Karen, that's correct. I did it my way. Not that I did it the Lord's way. Even our television commercials, uh, if you go to Burger King, what is their slogan? Have it your way, right? And, And so our whole environment, like magazines, can you think of a magazine that has a name on its cover that deals with just you? You guys must read it, huh? <laughs> no, it, it's out there. You can see it. Not that anyone reads it, but you can see it. It's itself. I did it my way. Have it your way. Everything appeals to the flesh. Everything that you deserve a break today, right? Something like that. Who says that? Decaf? No. No. No, it's McDonald's that says that. And so you see, you've associated these slogans with a particular product and whenever you hear it you remind or you're reminded of the product and the world sets us up that way that whether we deserve a break today or whatever but the lord says no you get a break after you assist others 
when you consider others better than yourselves, when you have devotion to your brothers and sisters and you take your own schedule, your own needs, wants, and desires, and you set them aside. If you do this well and you are married, you will have a good marriage. If you don't do this well and you are married, you will not have a good marriage. And so that's what the Lord tells us to do. And somebody who knows that they are being served, what does that person feel when you serve them? Gratitude. Absolutely. High five. That's the right answer. They feel gratitude and they will in turn do anything for you. And that's how we're supposed to look at Christ. Christ gave everything for us. So how do we look at Christ? We look at him with tremendous gratitude. And if he asks us to do something, we would willingly go do it. He doesn't coerce us. He doesn't pull out the whip or the rod and say, you need to do this. No, when you focus on Christ and everything that he has done, our gratitude wells up within us and the love that we have for him grows and therefore we reach out to others. It also says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet I urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. And this is the key to your Christian walk, loving others more than yourself. And we are, excuse me, let's just go on. The second point here we will see that we are to love Everyone outside the church. Now, at first we focused on, in the book of Hebrews here, verse 1, those inside the church having brotherly love. But here, it's those outside the church. Verse 2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. In other words, anybody who comes along that needs some assistance, we're to help them out. Unless you discern their scammers. Now, if you help somebody out that you don't know is a scammer, God still credits that to your account. I think we're to be wise in this endeavor. I don't know about you, but I've been uh, getting some phone calls on my cell phone. And have you heard about the big IRS scandal that's going around? And they're just telling you better pay up. And they're coercing the people and telling them they're going to be drug into court. And some elderly people especially are paying thousands of dollars for what they perceive to be back taxes that erode with penalties and they're sending them to this big consortium which is out there a probably a mafia style consortium and they are ripping people off now sometimes we get phone calls and they seem like they're legit but if you know somebody is truly in need we're supposed to help them we're supposed to give of ourselves not only personally but also of our resources and we are not to forget to entertain strangers for by doing so, some of you have entertained angels. Now, some of you may not be aware of this. I believe this can still happen today where uh, you may help or assist somebody who is in need and it's actually an angelic being. Do I think it happens on a regular basis? Probably not. It doesn't happen on a regular basis. But it is for us. It is a test for us. And for me, I have a difficult time doing that. I'll just confess it to you because I know that there are so many scammers out there and I've told you the stories of that and I have a tendency uh, to be a little more harsh uh, especially somebody that I see as a repeat offender that has no desire 
uh, to get off the street or to help themselves, especially uh, young men. If I see a young man on the street, I have a tendency to just more or less be in his face. Now, I'm not saying you should do that. Uh, And the Lord will judge me if I've done something wrong. And I I just did that last week. There's this guy in Lakeside that I've talked to at least on three or four occasions. I've helped him out a couple of times. But every time I've talked to him, I said, buddy, man, you can need to get off the street. And he's a young guy. He's under 20. And he's on the street, and I'm telling him, look, you need to go to the mission. And last time I talked to him, the time before this, he said, I just went down there. I was just there yesterday. And I go, right, you were just there yesterday. And when I talked to him this last week, he goes, yeah, I'm going to go down there tomorrow, 9 o'clock. I know I'm supposed to check in. I go, yeah, right. And, and so people like that, I, I, me, I have a tendency not to give them too much slack. But if I see somebody who is in need, I know that the Lord just fills me and goes, you've got you to help this person. You've got to do whatever you can for them. I rarely will give money. It's always food or something else. And I'm telling you that not so that uh, you say, well, look at him. He does this. I, I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm supposed to give you examples of what, I'm supposed to do so that hopefully the good things that you see you will mimic. And this is what Paul said also, the good things that you see that him that he does and also the other apostles and the other servants of the Lord, we're supposed to mimic those. And so we are supposed to help those people who are out there who are indeed in need of help. But again, we have to be cautious about who we help, especially in this country. Because when this was written... The poor are not the same poor that we have in this country. I've told you about this before, that the average poor person in this country will have one to two televisions. They will have a car. Uh, They rarely go hungry. I know that there are some that do, uh, and usually they will have some type of uh, psychological issue that's going on, and they definitely need help. But there are certainly those out there that we can pass over. The Lord will give you wisdom in doing this, I am sure. So we are to reach out to those who are not only in the church, but also to those who are outside the church. And not only outside the church, but those who are incarcerated. Verse 3, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are, minist- are mistreated as if yourself or you yourselves were suffering. And so there is a direct command here that we are supposed to reach out to those in prison. Now, I've gone down to the prison over here uh, in the past with others, and uh, at Donovan down there, and it is, it is not a pleasant place uh, to be. But, it, ladies, you could also go over to Las Colinas, and you could visit the women who are in there. Now, again, prisons in the United States are not like other countries. Uh, If you've ever visited the prisons like down in Mexico uh, or been incarcerated even in one of their jails down there, uh, and I'm guilty of that. Uh, It wasn't last week. It was a month ago. No, it was was when I was a teenager, and it was not a pleasant experience. I would much rather, if I was going to be in jail, be in jail up here. And it's just a terrible place to be in the loneliness that's there and the hours of isolation and the temptations, the drug use that uh, takes place in there. It's a, a horrible place to be. And if you do nothing but simply write them a letter, if the Lord calls you or if you think you're able to do it, 
go into the prison. Get a couple of those who are in the church and say, you know, can, can we check into this? And if you go down to their uh, facility down there, talk with the chaplain, they'll give you a training course on what you can do to get involved or over at Las Colinas. I know that they can do the same thing over there. You get in there and you talk with them. You just visit with them. You pray for them. You don't give them certain information. They can train you on that. But you want to make sure you're visiting them in prison. Why? Because God just said it here in the book of Hebrews. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, going on, it talks about marriage here. Verse 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now, I have told you, I believe Paul has written this and in Paul's other writings, such as Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he deals with these issues as well. And whenever he has a list of things that we're supposed to follow, this one bubbles right to the top. Uh, The adulterer is the one who is a paramour, or figuratively speaking, they will go out and they will have a physical relationship with somebody who is not their spouse, or they will be single and have a relationship with somebody who is married to someone else. And then it's anything to do with sexual immorality. And this is pornea that comes up. And I bring these subjects up as often as scripture does. I don't normally pull a subject out and focus on that. Uh, Sexual immorality is one, a sin that has plagued humanity for all time. It has not ever subsided. Uh, We know that Sodom and Gomorrah, according to Jude, verse 7, was judged. And 1 Timothy talks about that as well, uh, that Sodom and Gomorrah was judged for that. And God will judge all of those who engage in such activity. Now, when it talks about this, you know, if, if you have, and I've gone over this before, if you have lusted in your heart towards somebody that is not your spouse, you, as well as me, if we have done this, we are guilty of adultery. That alone, that sin, if we don't know Christ, is enough to condemn us. It's enough to put us under the great white throne judgment. But God says if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. If we turn to God humbly and say, Father, I have sinned. And he says, I understand and you are forgiven. And he gives us mercy and he does not judge us according to our sins. Now, one thing, one thing that I'd like to address with this is what if you... As you age, let me ask you this. As you age, do you have more sins or fewer sins? Yes, we can say that that is true. What about the child who dies young? Is that child better off as far as sinning is concerned or are they worse off for not having lived? They are better off. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes says. Better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. And when a child dies young, that is more of a blessing than when the child grows up and dies old. Now, for the world to understand that would be difficult. In the scheme of things, if you don't believe that there is a God and you don't believe that there is a judgment to come, that all makes sense from the world's point of view that if a child dies young, it is not good. And it still causes us a tremendous amount of sadness and grief. There's no question about that. God did not want us 
to die. He does not want anyone to perish. But this idea that the sins build up, if you are walking with the Lord decade after decade, the Bible does not declare that you will become sinless. But in fact, you will heap up your sins. But every time you sin, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's where we humble ourselves and we go before God. But after a lifelong endeavor of attempting not to sin, and he says a righteous man will fall seven times and seven times he'll get back up and he'll continue on the path. But when you see Christ face to face, I'm sure we are going to be overwhelmed with emotion that when we see him and we, we actually get into heaven, I think that probably first, and this is just my own view, when we get there, I think we'll see a multitude. We'll probably see a multitude of the angelic host, which is up there. We'll see those who have gone on before us. And I think that they will be approaching us with open arms. And we will be overwhelmed at that point. I think it will be hard to withhold. After all, God gave us emotion, right? And even God the Father weeps. Jesus wept. We understand that. He experiences those emotions just like we do. And when one person dies and does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He does not rejoice over that. I believe he is deeply saddened by that. But to communicate what we're going to feel and how we're supposed to keep on enduring and although we will fall into sin, what does God want us to do? He wants us to get back up and it's so hard. It's, it's almost easier just to do the sin and start to wallow in that and make no effort to get out. And God says, no, don't do that. He even makes provision for this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, that those who are spiritual are supposed to restore those who are not spiritual, to help them up. And it's extremely difficult once you are in a sin to get out of that sin. But when we get to heaven and we see God face to face, I was thinking, well, how would I, how would I demonstrate that to you, what we would feel? Because we would feel both this tremendous regret, I think for a little bit, not for very long, but for a little bit we'd feel regret. But then this overwhelming sensation of joy will overtake us. And that joy will be so great that we will bust into tears. I think that's what will happen. And I wanted to demonstrate this to you by a short video clip. Now on this video clip, and you may have seen this before. On this short video clip, imagine that you could not hear ever. And somebody restored your hearing. And what you might feel at that point, you will see in this little video clip, a woman, 29 years old, who has never heard, and then she hears. And I, as you're watching this, I want you to think about this is what it's going to be like when you get to heaven. Okay, go ahead and play that, Daryl. <laughs> it's like so close. There you go. We're not right over. 
There you go. It's creeping. So now technically your device is on. Can you tell? Oh, it's exciting. Here, you can put it down for a second. Just get used to the sound. What does it sound like? Can you hear me? Can you hear your voice? Does your voice sound pretty loud? Um, no, not really. What's well, good? <laughs> My laughter sounds loud. Yeah, you'll get used to all of that over time. <laughs> <laughs> so when we get to heaven, I think we'll be in anticipation. We'll see God, the people will surround us, and I believe we will bust into tears at that point, unable to hold the emotion. If you watch these too long, you're going to be a sobbing idiot watching us. <laughs> but there, there are more of these, and I would invite you to just watch them and see the joy that comes over these individuals. I have another one, uh, but I only wanted to play one this morning to give you the idea of what it's going to be like when you endure in this life and you keep on getting up and you think, is it all worth it? I, I just don't know. But once we get to heaven and we get that joy, you're going to look back and go, it was so worth it. In order for this woman uh, to have this hearing, she had to undergo surgery and they put a wire in her brain and into the sound area and she eventually got the other ear uh, done to where she could hear in stereo and her joy uh, in another interview is just overwhelming uh, she's just as happy as can be and so that's what we have to look forward to here and so whether it's uh, idolatry or whether it's greed or whether it's sexual immorality God tells us look don't do this this is for your benefit and when you get to heaven, it's going to be hard anyhow. But I, he says, I want to encourage you to keep your lives pure. In verse 5, he goes on to say, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God said, Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So this idea of the love of money, some people often misquote this and say money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. And I cannot tell you how many financial programs are on the radio. And it's good to be financially astute. It's wonderful. A lot of Christian programs or program stations have that on there. And we're supposed to follow that advice as best we can. Of course, in this world, we have things tugging on us. Money is constantly an issue for us that will never leave us until we die. But God tells us to flee this love of money. For it is with the love of money it will lead us astray. This is depicted in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable or the parables of the kingdom. If you remember the parable of the sower of the seed, you had four types of soil. Now, we've been going over this for about a month in the youth group. And there are four types of soil. There is the 
path that the seed falls on and it doesn't root and the birds take it away. The second one is the rocky soil that germinates, but when the trials, the persecution comes, the plant dries up and it doesn't produce any fruit. But the third one is the type that is planted and weeds come up with it and choke out the fruit. And the scripture tells us that when Jesus told us this particular parable, he said there's two things that affect this individual inside the church. One is the worries of this life, problems in this life. It will take you away from following Christ. The second one is the love of money. If you pursue money as your life's goal, you will eventually just fade away. Remember, Jesus said it is harder for a rich man to get... He said he was not contented with what he has, would not be contented with what he would like to have. Now, I'm going to describe to you a person's life, and maybe you can figure out who this is by the description that I give of him. This particular person had a very difficult life, extremely difficult life. And what he said at the end of that was, most folks are as happy as they make up their minds to be. And let me explain to you what this individual went through. At age nine... He lost his mother. Everything he earned up to his early 20s had to go back to his father. He lost his only sibling. Her name was Sarah. She died giving birth to a stillborn child. This person was born into poverty. Eight times he tried in a particular venture, and eight times he lost Uh, Twice in another business venture, he failed and he suffered a nervous breakdown. He went bankrupt and it took him 17 years to pay off the debt. One particular year, his family was forced out of their home. And not only did he give his money to his father, but he had to support the entire family that he, the father he remarried because his wife had died, uh, when this man was nine years old, but the son was then responsible for taking care of the other family as well. His first relationship that he had is with his sweetheart named Anne, and she died of typhoid fever. He, it was thought, was not going to make it, and so they took away his razors because his friends thought that he was going to end up committing suicide. He had a couple of sons, actually had four sons. Three of them died. Edward, age seven, died of tuberculosis. Willie, age 12, probably died of typhoid. And Thomas, 18, died of heart failure. He had one son, the oldest. He lived into adulthood. It was said that he was overwhelmed with despair and that his wife was as well upon losing one of the children and she decided to go on a shopping spree and bought 300 pairs of gloves in order to satisfy the aching on the inside. He uh, was in charge of some troops and daily he would see them being buried next to where he worked and he knew that he was the man responsible for this. And as far as uh, this man's looks, let me give you some quotes. This is what they said about him and how he looked. 
I thought him about the ugliest man I have ever seen. Another man named Samuel DuPont said, the ugliest man I had seen for one looking so young. Uh, Another quote, this is what he said of himself. And this is going to give you a hint. I, I am the homeliest man in the state of Illinois, is what he said. And his own wife, Mary Todd, said he was not pretty. He lost an election eight times. Now, who am I talking about? Abraham Lincoln. And this is what, again, he said at the end of his life. He said, let me get the quote again. Most folks are as happy as they make up their minds to be. Now, has your life been anything like that? Not, not even close. And this is a man, he, he wrote about the war. Let me see if I can uh, find this quote I had in here. I'm going to give it to you. It's without malice. Well, basically he said that when the war ended, or when it was coming to a close, he would have no malice, no harm in his heart towards the enemy. And that's what he chose to do. And God encourages us to have that kind of contentment, not to be discontent. We have something go wrong. We owe some money to the IRS and our world's falling apart. Something gets repossessed and that's just horrible. Or one of us gets sick and things just aren't going our way and we just get so down. And God says, look, just learn to be content with what you have and where you are in your station in life. Uh, I've told you before that every once in a while I I have a a fun thing I like to do. Uh, Since I like the ocean, I like to look at boats. And I will go on Craigslist and I will look at the yachts, you know. And there will be some in there, a yacht from 1957. It's real cheap, you know, $5,000. And I go, that's not a yacht. That thing's a wreck, you know, and you wouldn't want to buy that. But then you, I read this article on the most expensive yacht ever built. It's being built right now. It is $1 billion, a private yacht for $1 billion. The first thing I think is, I like that. The second thing I think is, I would not want to take care of that. It would just be too much. And God says, whatever station you find yourself in, be content with that. The more you have, the more you worry. And you worry about your stuff. You worry about somebody coming in and stealing it. And God says, just be content. Don't worry. You're going to have, you know what you're going to own when you die? Everything. You're going to own everything. The, the whole universe, God is going to give it to you. He's going to say, here, not only that, but you're going to be able to sit on his throne with him, is what he says. You're going to rule and reign with him. And we can't just defer that for a little while, that desire. Just set it to the side. Be content. Verse 6 says, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And so he's saying when you walk with the Lord and he's going to provide everything to you, you don't have to worry about those who are around you, what they can do to you, how it will affect your life. Just say, oh, there's a saying, Doris Day. You guys remember it? There you go. Que Sarah, Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. I'm really going back in time today, aren't I? Verse 7. 
Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And if we certainly go back and do this with the apostles and the prophets and the Old and the New Testament, they suffered to the point of giving up their physical lives and they did it all for the glory that was set before them just like Jesus Christ went to the cross all for the glory that was set before him. So we're to imitate their faith. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, he does not change. We as a society changes. He is not capricious, unpredictable, changeable, impulsive, impulsive, unreliable. He's not fickle. God is the same. He will act the same every single time you go to him for a request. He is completely consistent. He is completely righteous. He is completely loving. Those things never alter. Verse 9, do not be carried away by any kind of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial food, which are of no value to those who eat them. And if you remember the context in which these letters in the New Testament are written, there were the Judaizers who came out of Judaism and they tried to take the Old Testament Mosaic Covenant and mold it in with the covenant of blood and make the two one. And Paul in Acts chapter 15 was just up in arms about this and they went and they had the council in Jerusalem where James, the Lord's brother, he spoke as the main elder there and he said, look, we're not supposed to be mixing these two covenants and that's why he said don't be worried about these ceremonial foods they don't do anything for the person who eats them some people think that their diet makes them more spiritual god is saying no it doesn't if you want to eat the fat on a steak you go right ahead it's probably not healthy uh, in the long run for you to do that and it may taste good to you but God says, whatever you want to eat, it's just fine. Don't worry about these special diets which are out there. Me personally, I think I'm going to eat anything I possibly can that's set before me until I can't, right? And the doctor says, you better not do that anymore. I I just, I have a variety of junk things I like to eat and I, I just go for them. Now, I'm not saying that you should do that, Bob. I'm not saying that any... (laughs) We want you around a little longer, okay? But you're not supposed to just eat anything that you're supposed to when you're in a medical condition. But up until then, hey, just have at it. And by the way, you can't do what you want to, Bob. It's just fine. And so this idea that people would impose things upon us, that they'd say, oh, you'll be much more happy and content with yourself if you're a vegan. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be much more happy with myself and content if I was a vegan. And so there were the Judaizers who were trying to control the diets of those who were out there and they had no value. Now, there are these other doctrines which are out there, strange doctrines. Uh, And these doctrines are talked about several places in Scripture, like in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, talking about us going on to full maturity Uh, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. For instance, strange doctrines. Now, some of these, I know some of you believe these, but they are strange doctrines. How do I know this? Because in the past... I have taken surveys in the church where we got together and we had like a basic foundations class. I would pass out surveys and ask people before we took the class what they believed. One of the questions on there was, true, false, we become angels when we die. 
35% of the people in the class said true. 35%. I'm going to tell you, we do not become angels when we die. This isn't, what was that Jimmy Stewart movie? Uh, Charlie the Angel or Clarence. It's a Wonderful Life. Clarence used to be a, a guy who was alive. He died. He was going to get his angel wings. That's, that is a strange doctrine. That is not in the Bible. Here's another one. And I know some of you in here believe this, but it is not true. We are not reincarnated. We don't come back and do over. This isn't a Groundhog Day adventure that you just keep on living it over and over. This idea of karma, you live a bad life, and if you live a really bad life, you could come back as a cockroach. If you know, I'm telling you, they don't kill anything over there because it could be somebody that's reincarnated, and that is filtering in here. Reincarnation. By the way, what verse would I use to refute reincarnation? Does anybody know? Hallelujah. What? Where is that? What's the verse? Oh, no. <laughs> it's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And so there is no reincarnation. If you have believed that doctrine, you can just say, well, that's what you rip that page out and you just throw it away. We have judgment after one life. There is no other life. And that judgment for a believer is a time of reward or losing reward. Or a God wants you to be rich. That is not true. Now, some of us, he wants to be rich so we can give it away. That's why he wants us to be rich. By the way, I, I, I don't know the, um, the name of the author of the Harry Potter series. She is the first billionaire that is no longer a billionaire because she gave away most of her money. Now, I don't, I, I don't think she's a believer. But if somebody is a billionaire and a Christian and they gave away most of their money, good. You know, that's what the Lord wants. That's what he wants us to do. Now, I'm not priming you for an offering, okay? I'm, I'm not doing that. You know here at this church, we don't even receive a formal offering. We leave it between you and and God. And that's why the agape box is back there. Nobody is standing. We don't have a camera focused on the agape box to see who gives. We don't do that. We don't care. You know, it's between you and God. And so this idea that God wants you wealthy and that he wants you healthy. What do you mean? He doesn't want me healthy. No, he wants you to have a good life full of joy, but that doesn't mean it comes with health. God never promised us health. He just said, no, one day you're going to die. I can promise you that. And that means we have to get sick first or have a bad accident. So sometimes it's God's will that we fall and we get sick and that we eventually die. And so those people who are on the television saying, no, God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. No. Well, some of us he wants wise. Actually, he wants all of us wise, and he'll give us wisdom if we ask for it. I think that's the one thing that's universal, that God will give us wisdom, but if we don't pursue knowledge, we're not going to become wise. You know, so these are the things that are strange doctrines which are out there. What about uh, speaking things into existence? Don't say the wrong thing. No, you don't want to say that because then it will happen. What if I don't get the job? No, don't say that because you're going to speak it into existence. Hogwash. 
That is just a bunch of hogwash. It doesn't work like that. God is the one who tells us and he determines our footsteps. We, we want to go in a particular direction, but God determines our paths, the way we're going to go. What about um, everybody goes to heaven? It's not true. Not everybody goes to heaven. Matter of fact, fewer people go to heaven than are destroyed in hell. Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many there be that find that, but narrow is the way that leads to salvation. So not everybody is going to be saved. And those people who die, some people believe it's total annihilation, the doctrine of total annihilation, where you go to sleep and you don't dream. You just never wake up. That is not true either. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46 tells us some will be raised to eternal life and some to eternal punishment. It never ends. That's what Scripture has to say. And if we want the good doctrine, we have to go to the Word. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned up outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then... Go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. Now, for the Hebrew, they would understand what's being talked about here. This is something that comes out of the Mosaic law that this, these animals, especially uh, bull's flesh, was to be taken outside of the camp. And he says we're to join him in his disgrace. That if we suffer, if he suffered for the sake of the Father, we're supposed to do the same. Verse 14, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. And our city that is to come is in the book of Revelation. And it tells us after the great white throne judgment, the tribulation, and the millennial reign of Christ, this new heaven and new earth is going to be created. There's going to be no more sun, and the city is going to come out of heaven, glistening and shining approximately 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, and we are going to live there. We're going to look at each other, and I'm going to tell you, hey, that's your house. And you're going to say, no, that's your house. No, that's our house. And we're going to live there. And it's going to come down here. And Jesus is going to be in the middle of it. And that's where we're going to spend eternity. Now, I think we'll probably come and go because there are gates there. It's not just a walled city with no exits. We're going to go and come back and forth, I believe. And he has jobs for us to do. But it's a great thing to look forward to. Verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. So we're always supposed to be making melodies in our heart to the Lord. We are, we are not going to ever be bored in heaven and so I don't think we should ever be bored here. I think we should constantly turn to God and be singing praises to him and, and having this joy just completely well up within us. Now, going on here in verse 16, and do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And he's talking about sacrifices. He's not talking about giving out of your abundance. He's not saying if you have $100, give one, because that's not really giving out of your abundance. It, it's much more than that, I believe. It starts at 10%. And it goes on from there if you're giving what is expected to whomever is in need. Going on, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's, it, when it comes to leadership and the people inside the church, if you can relate it to this, imagine being a young mother with a two-year-old and the two-year-old going on three and has a mind of their own 
And it would be just so much easier on the mother if the child was obedient, wouldn't it? Wouldn't the mom's life just be a joy? But when the child just turns to the mom and says, No! And just right in her face, it's tough. It's tough for the young mother, even the father. You know, why do you make me do this? I have to react to what you're doing. And the kid takes off running, <laughs> little demon, you know, and, and you have to go chase after him and you have to discipline him and all that. Wouldn't it just be easier if they were completely obedient and just said, yes, father, what would you like me to do today? At age two, that would be great. But we know that's not the case. But this is what God is talking about here. He goes on to say, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, and this is why I believe it is the Apostle Paul that he was imprisoned in the uh, Roman prison. And that's why he wrote this. Verse 20. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good, everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And this would be my prayer for you that you would be open and available for whatever God wants to give you, that you would receive it, whether it's knowledge, knowledge, whether it's prophecy, prophecy, where it's the gift of helps, the gift of helps, and that you would exercise that. Verse 22, brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. And so this is a man who writes these things while in prison, while in chains. And we can learn so much from the book of Hebrews, not to take the things of the ceremonial or religious end of Judaism and trying to reach God by our good works. It's the grace of God that we're supposed to focus on. But he gives us these acts which we are supposed to be obedient to, forsaking the ways of the flesh. And when we do so, he encourages us in this last chapter, we have heaven in store for us. So do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. God is still working in you. Just be available. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, the encouragement from the author here of doing what is right. We understand it's not to spoil our fun. We only ask, Lord, that you would give us strength to turn from the ways of the world, the ways of Satan, and the ways of the flesh, that we might have that rich entry, not being ashamed when we see you, but being filled with joy to the point of being overwhelmed. We long for this day, Lord, and we thank you that you have made it possible. In Jesus' name, amen.